So today's the final message in this series on biblical justice that we've been talking about. Public discourse regarding justice in our day, unfortunately, has mostly been about sound bites and social media posts and protest signs, whether it's ending racism, showing the dangers of CRT, whether it's protection for the poor, caring for immigrants, fighting to protect jobs. I've never seen anyone in a demonstration or posting on social media a sign like this, though. Um, just haven't seen this, have you? When someone is protesting and, but isn't that kind of really what it is? Uh, I think I'm the problem. I think somehow it's about me. Somehow I'm the one who judges people based on their skin color too much. I'm the one that can be passive when I should take a stand when people are being oppressed. I'm the one who often goes about my life enjoying my pleasure and my comfort and I don't think anything about the poor. I'm the one that can drive past that person standing at the corner begging for money and have critical judgmental thoughts of them as I'm in my nice air conditioned car going to my nice home or to dinner. I'm the problem and you can go on and on and on. As long as we define the problem as external, we need to have an external solution. And I think that's part of the dilemma that we find ourselves in in our country and in our world today. We have to have a program, we have to have a movement, we have to have some kind of a government action or a Supreme Court ruling. We have to have something outside of ourselves for lasting change. But I'm convinced, and here at First Free, we're convinced that lasting change is only found in Jesus Christ. And the change that Jesus Christ brings is internal change. It's an internal transformation. The Bible tells us about the story of God, how he created everything in existence, including humans. And that first creation initially worked harmoniously with God. There was, there was this union and communion between God and his creatures. And what broke that communion, what broke that union, wasn't some external policy. It was an internal shift in Adam and Eve's heart when they decided they would go their way instead of God's way. The break in their union was internal. And the Old Testament revealed how God instituted a plan. And yes, there were policies and provisions and programs and systems as part of that, but it really was about bringing back unity to that internal brokenness. And that points to his son, Jesus Christ, so those, who've been, those of us who've been transformed by Christ, who've found our salvation and freedom and forgiveness in Christ, are part of the church. And I think the New Testament church is what God has designed to make a difference of justice in our world. So without question, there are ways to improve systems and laws and courts and programs and all those things. But ultimately, those alone are not going to provide any satisfaction which leads to the big question for today. If I have been transformed by the work of Christ, how am I living my life as an agent of change? That's really what it is. I'm the problem. I'm the problem the way I judge, the way I have prejudices, the way I don't act when I need to act. So the question is, if I'm transformed by the work of Christ, how am I living my life as an agent of change a few things we know for sure. God did not rescue us to keep us in isolation. The church has tried that over time, and there are still churches that do. We're just going to huddle here and be the church. That's not how God designed the church. 
God is working toward a restoration of all things, and he wants to use us as part of that. So join me as we listen in to the teaching of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you could open there. Matthew chapter 5 starts with what we commonly call the Sermon on the Mount. And those first verses of the Sermon on the Mount are the Beatitudes. A few years ago, if you were with us, we had a whole sermon series on the Beatitudes, on the first verses of chapter 5 in this opening section where Jesus identified those who are most happy, blessed, and fulfilled by God. And, and they're the kind of people that have character qualities like meekness and poor in spirit and mourning and hunger for righteousness and purity, being a peacemaker. And the opening Beatitudes end with verses 11 and 12. I want to read these because they transition into the passage that we're going to focus on this morning. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. So rather than being a position of weakness, a position of defeat, when the church is under pressure, when the church is persecuted, when the church is alienated from our culture, when the church is in disfavor with the powers that be, instead of that being weakness and, and unfair, that's when we're at the right spot for God to use us to make a difference. That's right where we need to be. So now listen to what Jesus said as he continued to teach his first century followers. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? Will it be thrown out and it will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless? You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it will give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Now in both verses 13 and 14, that you, you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth, is very emphatic. Jesus is making a point that, that it is you, my followers, you are the ones who are going to accomplish this mission. You are the ones who are going to live out this kingdom impact in the world. This is really important. What if you and I are the answers to the prayers that we've been praying about social justice and spiritual renewal in our culture? What if you and I are the ones that God wants to use to change what we're criticizing and complaining about in our world? N.T. Wright, the British pastor and theologian, put it this way in his book, The New Testament and Its World. When God wants to change the world, he doesn't launch missiles. Instead, he sends in the meek, the mourners, and the merciful. When God wants to put things right, he doesn't scramble combat jets. He calls people to love and do justice. That's what God does when he wants to change the world. So what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us to be salt? Jesus calls his followers the salt of the earth. We think of salt as something you sprinkle on food to give it a little flavor. In the ancient world, they may have used it like that, but it wasn't the main reason they would use salt. In the ancient world, it was a preservative and a cleansing agent. People would pack meat with lots of salt because it would draw the water out and it would preserve it 
it would dry it and it would make it something that could be good for many, many months, extended periods of time. And in the same way, you and I as followers of Christ are supposed to function as a preservative in our culture and in our society. So if we see our culture and our world and our society in decay, and we point to other people and say it's their fault, it's like, no, maybe we need to hold that sign up and ask the question, are we being the preservative? Are we being that change agent in our culture that God has called us to be? The second phrase in verse 13 is interesting. What good is salt if it's lost its flavor? And this is problematic because sodium chloride doesn't lose its flavor, does it? I mean, salt can't not be salty. So Jesus is stating something here. It's kind of a bizarre, unnatural image. If food is insipid, if it's losing its flavor, we put salt on it to give it flavor. If salt's losing its saltiness, do you salt it more? How do you, how do, you do salt that's not salty? The rhetorical image is just inconsistency. What's unsalty salt? That's like a square circle. If you're, if you're salt, you're salt. And Jesus is saying you can't not be salt. Part of every Christian's calling is to live out that nature of being a change agent in our world. Our new nature is one of faith, one of hope, one of living out mission everywhere we're at. When you're at home, when you're at work, when you're with your neighbors, when you're at school, everywhere you're at, you are, it's who you are. So everyone you touch is touched by you being salt. Listen to some other verses that kind of point in this direction. First Peter 3, 15. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life and if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Be salt. Let your conversations, Colossians 4, 6, be gracious and attractive so you will have the right response to everyone. That's how we're salt. We're always ready to have the right response. 2 Timothy 2, 25, gently instruct. Let me say that again. Gently instruct, not harshly instruct or sharply instruct, but gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. That's how we're salt. That's, that's why we impact this culture. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. And then Acts 1, 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We are to be salt that, that flavors, that preserves, that changes the entire world. That's who we are. The important part is that salt has to always be salt. That means our impact in the world is felt the way we interact with our families, the way we care for our neighbors, the way we prioritize the poor, the way we listen to the news in the evening, the way we hear politicians talk on either side of the aisle, whether they agree with us or not. We're to be salt. We're to be a change agent in this world. The next image is equally powerful, starting with verse 14. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Now that phrase and concept, the light of the world, was used in Jewish, both biblical and extra-biblical Jewish writing 
to refer to God, to Adam, to distinguish rabbis, to Israel, to the temple, to more, because the concept of light meant a lot more in first century or in the ancient world than it does today. We've kind of conquered darkness in our world. We have street lights, we have headlights on our cars. You can walk into a dark room and flip a switch and darkness leaves. So we don't deal with darkness like they did in the ancient world. But in the ancient world, darkness was a really, really huge opponent. And you had, to, you had to light a lamp in your home to have any light. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Think what that must have been for listeners who know what darkness is. That when the sun goes down, you have to fight against darkness. You don't have electricity to flip a switch and get it away. Jesus said, I am the light. And in Matthew 5, the verse we're looking at, I don't think Jesus is saying we're the light of the world like he was in the same way, but we are, we are conduits for that light. We're carriers for that light, radiating the transformation that Christ has brought in our lives. And this is no small task. We're, we're called to be the light of the world, to take this to every person. Like this previous example, Jesus kind of shows the absurdity of this. He said, it's kind of like if you build this really big city on the top of a hill and then you try to hide it. It's like, you can't do that. You don't build the city on the top of a hill to hide it because it's visible everywhere. In verse 15, he shifts the image a little bit to an oil lamp, which would be very common in every home. All of his listeners would know and the readers in the first century would know you'd light a little oil lamp to give light to your home at night. And you also would have a vessel that you would cook in, a, a bowl. And he said, how foolish if you light the light to see and then you take the bowl and you put it on top of the light so you don't, the light doesn't have any impact. You're the light of the world. Giving light is not an option for Christians. It's who we are. And maybe this is sort of a diagnostic for us when we talk about justice in our world today, because maybe we have allowed our Christianity, maybe we've allowed our faith to blend in and meld so much with the world around us that the light just doesn't have much of an impact anymore. That in some way, we've sort of put a bowl over the light instead of being this sharp contrast, a loving but sharp contrast with what's going on in the world. Are we content to have our light shine in places that are already illuminated? And maybe we're avoiding those darkest places where our lights need to shine. Bonhoeffer said it this way, flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. And then verse 16 is the big challenge. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. It's the Christian in action. It's you and I doing the everyday Christian life where we're talking to people, where we're caring for our neighbors, where we're reaching out to people who are different from us, where we're going to those uncomfortable places where people are broken and ostracized and marginalized in our society, whether it's in the inner city of St. Louis or a nursing home where people sit and they don't have people come and visit them. Where, wherever people are marginalized, we're gonna go to them and we're gonna be this change agent. That's what we're called to do. Jesus makes it clear that the, the end result of being salt and light is not that we're noticed, it's that God's noticed. 
several years ago, I was driving down the street, and it was a fall day, and I saw this, this sign in the yard of a house a few blocks from my home. It said, this yard was raked by the servants from so-and-so church. And I thought, well, that's interesting, isn't it? You guys got all the credit. You totally lost that. It's like, you know, we don't, that's not what we serve for. We don't serve so that we get the credit. We serve so that God gets the attention. We serve and we're salt and light so that people see the God that we worship. In light of these verses, the application for this justice series, please hear this, the application for this whole justice series is for me to look at my life and evaluate whether I'm being salt and light as Jesus has called me to be. How am I living my life as an agent for change that points people to Jesus? Will you ask the same thing of yourself? How am I being salt and light that Jesus has called me to be. Going to people, be getting involved in the lives of people that are hurting and broken or ostracized or marginalized and making a difference for Jesus. The place to begin is with our own attitudes, our own words, our actions. Here are a few questions that I've come up with. You may come up with better ones, but a few just to prime the pump. How am I praying for people who are oppressed or who face challenges in their lives? Maybe even people, especially people that disagree with me who don't have a lifestyle that I can understand. How am I praying for them? Who are the people in my neighborhood, my family, my community, who need the light that I have in Jesus? Who are these people? What am I doing to serve these people? Not criticize, condemn them, but to serve them. And that can be really practical. That can be I have a neighbor, I have a person who I know, and even if I disagree with everything they stand for politically and, and every other way, but they have a need in their life, am I, gonna, am I gonna go serve them, even if it's uncomfortable for me? Even if it's gonna be awkward because they know where I stand on that issue, but I want them to know that I love them and that God loves them. And then beyond my immediate circles of relationships, where can I get involved to make an impact for Jesus? Now, here at First Free, we want every one of you to listen to the Holy Spirit, to study God's word, to hear his voice, to look at your world, and to get involved where God calls you to be involved. We want you to be salt and light in those areas he's calling you to. We also believe as a church, it's helpful for us to put together some pathways and some partnerships and some opportunities for you to serve and to do that as individuals, as families, as couples, as groups, uh, and as a church. We have outreach teams and partners in place to provide avenues of service and, and for you as your family, a group, or as your church. I'm gonna invite right now uh, Rachel Biggs to join me up, up here on the platform. Rachel, will you come up? Rachel has recently joined our church staff as our local outreach coordinator. Would you help me in, in welcoming Rachel to our first free staff? Thank you. Rachel, again, is our local outreach coordinator here at First Street. Her job is to help connect you with places to serve, with places to make a difference, with places to be salt and light here in our community. And she's doing a great job in the few weeks that she's here, been here with us. And, and we're excited to talk to you about what some of those opportunities are. So Rachel, as we think about how to help people at First Free, to get involved in our community and be salt and light. There are some things you and I've talked about we wanted to share with them. One of them is our English as a Second Language 
ministry. Many of you have served in the past. During COVID, we kind of put that on hold. We're getting ready to relaunch that. Can you share with everyone what ESL is going to look like here in the next few months? Yeah, so we're really excited to be able to get this ministry um, back up and going. I know that a lot of people have really been touched by it um, in the past. Um, we're going to be relaunching uh, January 12th with a couple uh, trainings leading up to it. Um, we're really excited to get our students back in the big house. Um, we have openings for teachers in all levels, um, as well as other support um, positions. Great. So if you have been or are interested or just want to know more about ESL, we're going to launch again in January. We're going to have some training times this fall. You can go to efree.org slash make a difference. That's the one-stop shop for finding a place to serve, efree.org slash make a difference, and you can learn more there. Now, kind of connected to that, prior to COVID, we were talking about having a, an immigrant mentoring ministry here at First Free and didn't quite get off the ground with some challenges that we had with COVID. So Rachel and I, as we've been talking and praying about this, came across a really powerful study that is all about welcoming the nations among us. And St. Louis, we have the nations right here. We don't have to go overseas to reach the nations with the gospel. And so we found a study that we're going to be launching. Would you share with everybody a little bit about the study and how they can be involved? Yeah, so the study is called Explore, uh, Welcoming the Nations Among Us. Uh, we're really excited to um, get this launched. It'll launch September 30th. Um, you can register at efree.org slash events. Um, and the study is really going to focus on kind of the biblical basis for um, walking alongside immigrants and refugees in our community and why would even, we would even want to as Christians um, and then some practical ways to do that as well. Great. And so whether or not you want to be part of our immigrant mentoring team, this study would be great just helping you to reach your neighbors, helping you to have a mindset that's open to connecting with people from various nations who are right here in, in our community. And then there are a few other partners that we've worked with in the past that we wanted to give you a little bit of an update on. So share with us a little bit where we're at with Bridge of Hope in North St. Louis. Yeah, so we um, got to go out and see the facility and meet their new director, um, who is amazing and is really excited to um, start some new things at Bridge of Hope. One thing that they've had going on for a while is a literacy program. Um, for the, the students in their area, um, which they had to stop doing in person due to COVID, but they've been really great in adapting um, and have started an online program. So they meet with students twice a week um, and do literacy tutoring, and they've seen a really great um, improvement in their literacy and then their reading abilities, even from, they've heard from the schools. And they still have plenty of um, positions open with tutoring Obviously, with it being online, it kind of opens it up for people who don't maybe want to make the trek out there. So. Yeah, so so we're working. Some And some of the partners are like that. It's like there's still some COVID restrictions that we're needing to, to work with. But they do have a serve uh, Saturday every month at Bridge of Hope. And so your small group, your class, your family, just you could sign up for a serve Saturday. You could go to efree.org slash make a difference. And there's a, a link to Bridge of Hope's website where you could just sign up for one of the Surf Saturdays and go down there and serve. You recently met with the principal at Carmen Trails. What's the latest on our partnership there? Yeah, so Carmen Trails is still fairly limited due to COVID, um, just to ensure that they're protecting their students and staff. Um, but we're still looking for really creative ways to still be able to serve them. Um, their their um, principal is really um, on fire for the Lord and really um, excited to see the ways that we could be working with them. 
Great. And then there are others, uh, Jubilee Church in North City. We're kind of rebuilding some connections there. They've, they have a clinic that's going to be opening up soon that will need some workers. They, have, they, they need bus drivers to take shuttle drivers to, to drive their buses from North City to some workplaces out in West County where they're having people come and, and get some jobs. So, and there are other ways. Again, you can see that on our website. And then Thrive, Oasis, Mission Gate. Um, how would you encourage people to take that next step to be involved? Um, if you go to efree.org slash make a difference, you'll find a list of our partners and ways to get involved in our community and also a link to get in contact with me. Great. So Rachel, thanks a lot. We're glad to have you on the team. Appreciate you joining us today. So, so those are some short-term. If you have other ideas, you want to talk with Rachel about how your group can be involved or, or opportunities you know, please, please do reach out to her. So those are kind of short-term, how you can get involved now. We also are thinking long-term. How are we as a church going to build in the DNA of who we are to be involved? And we're, we're bringing next year a discipleship experience called Rooted to First Free. And it's a, it's a discipleship experience that helps groups to encounter service by doing it, encounter, encounter prayer by doing it. It's an experiential kind of discipleship class, not just a, another study that you learn about and talk about. So um, Rachel has been working with Nick Parker, our group's pastor, about how to find opportunities for us to serve in a church. And that's gonna be long-term because we're hoping after next year and the coming years, we want everyone in our church to go through this experience. And we do, by the way, have a pilot group going this fall. So if you just would love to be part on the ground floor of this rooted pilot group, please uh, go to group, groups at efree.org and you can let us know and we'll get you more information about that. We don't want any of our sermon series here at First Free to, to just be standalone experiences, especially not this one. We do not want to be the church that just checked the box and yeah, in 2021, we had a series, six weeks, we talked about social justice. Done. Now let's move on. That's not what we want to be about. We want to be a church that makes a difference for Christ in this community and in the world because of how he's called us to and because of what we've studied. We are the salt of the earth and the light of the world and that's what we want to be. So whether we're talking about our global workers who are making a difference planting churches around the world or our everyday Christian life, we are the illumination and the preservation that this world needs. I can't think of a better way to conclude this series on biblical justice than with communion coming to the Lord's table because it's here that every one of us finds forgiveness. It's here that every one of us finds restoration. It's here that every one of us finds a full pardon for our sins. We come to this table because we need it. We come, in fact, if, if you've kind of got your life together and everything's taken care of, you probably don't need this table. But for people like me who really do, because we're judgmental, critical, self-righteous, we love pleasure more than serving God, we have all this stuff that we need to come to this table regularly and be reminded of the sacrifice that God gave for us in Christ so that we can know what it is to be the salt and light that we need. So as I pray, I'm going to invite our communion servers to come to the front and join me, and then we're going to transition into the Lord's Supper. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are humbled that you have called us to be salt and light for you. We're humbled that you have given this incredible eternal mission of God to people like us. 
We want to be the salt and light that you've called us to be, that you've made us in Christ. So I pray that through these service opportunities that we've talked about today and some that we may not even be aware of yet that you want to use us in, that First Free will be a change agent, not in fighting against, but in in preserving and in showing the light and in helping people to encounter that internal transformation that can only come through Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. I love the the Gospel of Luke's description of the Lord's Supper, his account of the Lord's Supper. It's pretty raw. It's kind of filled with emotion. Luke chapter 22, we read, when the time came, Jesus sat down with the apostles together at the table. He said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup of wine and he gave thanks for it. And he said, take this and share it among yourselves. I will not drink the wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and he gave thanks for it. And he broke it in pieces and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with you by my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is a man who will betray me. For it's been determined the Son of Man must die, but what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him. The disciples began to ask each other which of them would do such a thing. I'm going to pause there. What happens next is just, it's kind of unreal and disturbing and somewhat comforting to me at the same time. Because Jesus has basically said, Guys, this is what it's all about. This is the most epic thing of all of the universe is just about to happen. Everything I've been talking to you about for the last three years is about this. And now I'm going to give my life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And you would think they were like, wow, how amazing that we can be part of this. But you know what the next verse says? Then they began to argue among themselves. Then they began to argue among themselves. I mean, isn't that like us? Isn't it? It's like, this is what it's all about, guys. Well, I'm greater, I'm greater. And it's so much what we do. And Jesus pulls them back. He's like, guys, this is the mission. This is what it's about. And he picks up again, verse 25. In this world, the kings and great men lorded over people. They call, they're, they're called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Keep that in mind. Those who are greatest among you should be the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course. And then he says, but not here. Not here. That's not how we do it. For I came as one who serves. I came as one who serves. As we pass the elements and have communion, I just want you to think about that. Jesus came as one who serves, and he wants us to be different than the world. He wants us to impact the world for justice, not like the world does, but to be different. And the way we're going to be different is to have a humble, meek heart of service. So our servers are going to pass the elements. There are two cups. 
they're stacked. The lower cup uh, has the bread. The, the upper cup has the juice. If you need a gluten-free wafer, they're in the middle of the tray. Please wait until everyone has been served, and then we will take the elements together. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, whether you're part of our church or not, we welcome you to join us in this meal together. We have some children here with us today. So kids, I'm gonna ask you that you would just check with your parents as the elements are being passed and let your mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, whoever's there with you kind of give you the nod if you're ready to take communion. They may wanna talk to you about it later. If they say no, we're just gonna go with that today, okay? And let mom and dad have that last word right now and then we'll, we'll follow up after that. So please take some time as these elements are being served and reflect on the scripture that we've looked at today. The scriptures say when he gave his disciples the bread, Jesus said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together. And then he gave the disciples a cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Let's drink the cup together. We pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for being the ultimate servant. We can't thank you enough for the sacrifice that you made so that we can know you and we can be on mission to share God's love with the world. In the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that we, like you, are to be different, to find greatness in service. Please help us to live this out by the power of your Spirit. 